Hello and welcome back to OT and Chill, all things occupational therapy with me, Kwaku. On this episode, I speak to Sue Hilston about her journey into retirement, some of the challenges that she faced and what she hopes to give back to the profession now that she stopped working in clinical settings. Let's get right into it. I consider that I'm retired by dint of not actually working um, as an occupational therapist, but I don't think I'll ever retire from being an occupational therapist. Uh, It sort of came upon me when I was about 16, and here I am nearly 50 years later still being an occupational therapist, and I don't think that will ever change. Mm. Uh, I think the classic thing is it's like a piece of rock, and through the middle of me is occupational therapy. But uh, yeah, so that's basically the you know my career journey in a nutshell you know from the age of 16 onwards to where I am now and I'm still planning to carry on having an influence and being an occupational therapist so mm. yeah that, that isn't going to change soon wow. I don't think. <laughs> so, so tell me when when um when did you actually qualify or how long um, have you been working <laughs> or did you work as an occupational therapist I qualified in 1980 with uh, the diploma of the British Association of Occupational Therapists, I think it was. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I haven't done a BSc or an MSc since. I've just done purely clinical work. I've had an idea that I would like to do an additional qualification, but it's never been the right time or I've never really had the opportunity to do it. I've done some work towards it, but never came to fruition. Didn't really feel that it was ever the right time because of other conflicts other things that were going on in my life so yeah that's absolutely fine but since 1980 and when did you decide to stop working as an occupational therapist uh i finished two years ago on the cusp of covid which uh, sounds very dramatic but actually i'd given my notice in um 15 months before that but actually uh, eventually finished in march 2020 that's a long time of being uh, an occupational therapist, isn't it? You've dedicated your yeah. whole life to to that clinical um, healthcare world. I, I wanted to have sort of some sort of anniversary, so forty years seemed to be quite a good time to do it. Forty years, that is, that's yeah. a, uh, you know how amazing that is. Like, uh, obviously, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's longer than I've been. I've been um, yeah. alive, which, which is uh, which is amazing. Which is, uh, I think, is to have that kind of resilience and and to keep doing. It. Of course, you must have had difficult times in your career and all this yeah. stuff, but to have that to keep going <laughs> for for forty years in any any career. Is, is and and there are there are many retired OTs who actually can do better than that but and you know it just amazes me the enthusiasm that there remains for the profession even in retirement and I think that's what keeps me going in that um, there's a whole group of us that get together on Twitter um, and on Facebook and, and actually talking to them and you know there's some very eminent names out there that I've spoken to and I now consider to be friends in the loosest sense of the word but certainly you know, OT friends through our shared experience of the profession, really, which is, mm. it's, it's fantastic. No, I can, I can imagine, I can imagine. So, I, I mean, so 40 years in the profession, in your opinion, how how has it changed or how did it change over the course of the the, mm. the time that you were in, uh, in, in practice? 
It's gone very much from an NHS-focused profession to a much more free-thinking profession. I think we've we've stepped away from from the boundaries of organisations, and, and I think in one way that's fantastic. But I think it can create a sense of fear in some of the younger, less not younger but less mature professionally clinicians because you know they they struggle to define what their role is. They struggle to define the profession. Um, because it is quite, a, 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 you know, a free-ranging, a wide-ranging profession. And because we're so holistic and generalistic in our work, it, it can be quite difficult. And from your experience, you're talking about, like, how it might, it might uh, be a little bit difficult for younger. Through your experience, mm. you must have worked with other, other professions as well, um, people from other professions. Do you find this, that they have the similar difficulties in, in, in or the changes over the time? Has, has it been similar across, like, the allied health professions? In a way, but I think their their roles are often more clearly defined and perhaps slightly more planned in the way that they evolve into new areas. You know, so obviously the radiographies, uh, radiotherapy have got very clear, clearly defined lines of development of the profession. Um, physio as well, although I know physio are starting to look at, at slightly different approaches to to treatment. And I think, and I think with OT it is different because we are so. You know, we have a, a, a psychological element to our, our training and we have the sort of very much a physical uh, physical side to the training that it's quite difficult to know which way to go. I knew right from the start that I didn't want to do any psychiatry as it was then or mental health. Having said that, so much of my work has involved people's approaches to their, their condition, their approaches to their disability and working with them in a very sort of psychologically based yeah. way. And I think that's the fascinating thing, having said, no way was I going to get involved with that side of the profession. Here I am, you know, looking at things like motivational interviewing, working with people to find out what's important to them. Otherwise, you know, you're on a hiding to nothing. If you're trying to force something on somebody, there's no yeah. way you're going to get any cooperation. You're, there's no way you're going to make progress with them um, or for them, yeah. And I suppose that's what I remember when I was studying, that's one of the things that they kept on them. And still now people drum into us like you can't separate it. Like you can't, whichever setting you're working in, it doesn't matter if it's pure psychiatry Mm. or mental health setting or if it's pure Mm. physical setting. There's always, there's always going to be a crossover at at some point. Um, And and then us having those skills that we have as occupational Mm. therapists actually really benefits us in in that moment because we can quickly switch (laughs) from from one one mind frame to another one because we know how jointly linked both the physical Mm. and mental health um, and the impact on well-being has. Um, So talking about your your clinical background and you being purely in physical let's just say purely mm-hmm. in physical what, what what kind of settings did you work in um and what was it like in the early days of your of your work it was very much a case of you went into if you were staying in that sector you very much went into hospitals you worked in acute sector so I managed about two years in the acute sector and realized that actually it wasn't for me and moved into um, working for social services so uh, I had a, a while working with social services, which I absolutely loved. Um, I was working in a very rural area in the south of England. And I just loved that whole idea of working very closely with the community, working very closely with people in their home environments and trying to work within the system that was there available to them to, to, to bring about the changes that they wanted in their lives. So, you know, that was fantastic. I loved that. 
being part of that community and, and being invited into people's houses mm. you know, and be invited into their homes and into their lives was just it's a privilege you know that's something that I've always enjoyed that that people have you have that shared respect that mutual respect for each other that you can learn so much from them and they can learn from you as well which is brilliant mm. I really enjoyed that side of things I think yeah. it's great. I think, I think you touched on the point there before you carry on about uh, we, we're not all the profession that goes into people's houses and, and works mm. in them. So we just, we're not going to claim that one. But we, we are one of the people that do the most, let's say. Um, and it's such a privilege to be working with someone in their own environment, trying to um, get them to do the things that they want to do. I think I think it's great. Like I love that type of community, mm. Um, mm. that type of community work. Sorry, I cut you off because I, I just needed to say that. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's been the basis very much of what I was doing, that, that actually you're working with people in their environment. Working with somebody in hospital is such a, an, a, an alien environment for them. You know, you may feel comfortable in it, but actually it's not an environment that they feel that they can be of, their, of themselves or can do of their best in hospital. Mm. Um, so getting someone home and back to where they want to be is so vital mm. and, and I guess that's the same for every every OT you know that's what they're looking for they're looking for the the ultimate goal of getting somebody back to the occupations that are important to them mm. Definitely. yeah very true so then when you moved on from the social services did you go anywhere else or did you sort of just move from one to the other we headed up towards the outskirts of London and and uh, I found a job up there um, which was quite interesting. It was working with, it was working in a social services office, but I was actually health based. So that was that was quite an interesting. So there was an emphasis on obviously rehab. It was the start of sort of reablement that that style of approach. So mm. it, it really played to my side of the work where I liked working with people within their own home and, and working with them to achieve what they wanted themselves. So that was good. And then I, I applied for a job up at the old Westminster Hospital. I'd actually had a placement there, the one that's by the Houses of Parliament. And the person that was advertising the job was actually my clinical supervisor. So that was really, that was really good. And I ended up working, it was for the Department of Health and Social Security, as it was then. And I was looking at wheelchair cushions. So they had okay. something called the Disability Equipment Assessment Programme, the DEEP report. So I did a, a second edition on one on wheelchair cushions, which was absolutely, I'd never done anything like it before. It was fantastic. It was sort of like the key that opened the door really to, to the next phase in my life via quite a roundabout route. But um, ultimately from there, I ended up working in wheelchair services okay okay so i was listening to lauren the other day and yeah. listening to her and thinking her passion and the passion that i had for that particular side of the work is incredible because i think she, i was one of the first ot's that worked in wheelchair services as they opened them up and drew them away from very um, regional based services so i ended up in uh, east berkshire working in maidenhead windsor castle was part of my uh, area that i could work in Oh, did you ever get a chance um, to go there? <laughs> no, we did have a referral for a lady, an elderly lady who lived at um, 
Windsor Castle and we were thinking, oh, it's the Queen Mother, it's the Queen Mother. <laughs> uh, but I think it was one of the in one of the Grace and Favour houses. So, uh, no, I didn't get to buy the wheelchair to a member of the royal family. Which was oh, just imagine that. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You turning up at the door in my green and white. And <laughs> <laughs> would see the Queen Mother. <laughs> okay, so then fast forward, fast, quick, quick step, because I know sometimes the years go, <laughs> as yeah, I'm getting older, the years just go so much quicker than uh, it, it, it seemed to go before. And then um, getting closer to what you can see as the end of your working career mm. what what happened what what triggered that moment that you thought to yourself mm, actually i've had enough of working <laughs> doing that uh, yeah. nine to five yeah. type of grind yeah we, we we moved away from sorry circumstances changed but i moved away from um, milton Keynes, which is where i was ultimately working then mm-hmm. moved back down towards the west to the west country and ended up working in back in the community in a, a, a health and social care team um, which again was sort of back to my roots of working with people in their own home. I think for me it was very much a case of how far do I want to? I, I didn't want to go in management. I'm very much a, a you know a clinician. I very much enjoy that that day to day side of things. You know, I, I I enjoy exploring the role. I enjoy exploring what's important to the people that I work for and work with. So I didn't want to go into management, definitely not. That was not an area that I wanted to go into. So I think, for you know, I was looking at also what was important to my colleagues and how I could support them very much in developing their clinical skills, you know, the CPD, that type of things, thing, um, and, and saying to them, well, you know, how can you make this your career? How can you make, bring value to yourself as well as to, to your clients in in what you're doing and it got to the point where I started thinking what value am I bringing to myself within my career you you start listening to ideas that are coming out from other sources and thinking hang on a minute we've been here before you know we are going around that circle again and what was what was the way that things were done 10 years ago is sort of slipped and now we're all of a sudden someone's reinventing this and saying this is the, the next best thing to be doing, you know, reablement started to become very much a, the watchword again when it, it had sort of slipped out of use in, in the areas that I was working in. Uh, so I think I think that was my main reason is was how much further can I keep my enthusiasm going for work? Um, there were sparks, there were things there that I got really in, into, but ultimately it wasn't doing it for me. You know, there were there were other things that became more important for me and more important mm. to me to be yeah. to be dealing with. I think I I didn't fall out of love with OT. I fell out of love with work, I think. And mm. you you do, you you weigh everything up and you think, is this right? Is this it can I sustain this for another for me it was another four years and I didn't feel I could sustain it until I got my pension. So um I was just going to ask you that question because maybe mm. some people, some, some people are not nowhere near the retirement age. They don't even know what the retirement age is. So, what is the what is the retirement age here in the UK? Uh, sixty six. Sixty six for uh, is that women and then sixty for both for both. Oh, okay. Yeah. And to calculate um, how much longer I've got left, then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. uh, I expect you'll find for you it's actually going to be going up. Oh, don't say like that. that. Don't say uh, that. No. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, again, in in life course and in life development, um, 
everyone changes up with time don't we we all change yeah. things change you know family changes things come into your life that take more priority than than others and work is like, like a constant in our adult life um mm. really but in terms of your own energy levels did you did you find that it, it started to wean and, and did that play an impact on your enthusiasm to to do the job that you were doing my energy levels no I, I still had that level of enthusiasm but I don't think I had the enthusiasm for for what was going on within our area of work I, I think we started to struggle with with issues with staffing it wasn't so much staffing within our OT profession but in other professions um, so when you start looking holistically at a health and social care team you say right okay where have we got gaps in skills um, how can we fill those gaps in skills in order to provide the service that we want for our customers? And I think we actually, there was a reduction in, in rehabilitation became less of a priority and the priority started to become very much detecting the acute services, which you have to do. There is no way, you know, they are, they are the bread and butter work, but actually mm. when you think the largest percentage of the population is cared for by health services within the community, it just seemed to be quite an odd balance. Yeah. You know, I think it's I think it's 10% of the population in hospital at any one time, but 10% of the resources go to community services. Wow, that's a very backward I mean, that is a, a strange way to look at that. it. Yeah, if, if it is true, that, but, if yeah. if that is true, though, that that is, or even if it's a little bit more, if, if yeah. even if it's a little bit more, it's still yeah. a, a big chunk. Because I I think you're right. I can't I can't imagine that it's fifty sixty percent goes into the community. I I really don't think that because if that was the case, then there will be a massive focus on the preventative um, strategies, yeah. um, more public health, and that yeah, the, there's money in public health to try protect the protect us. But I, I really don't think I think it could be more. <laughs> I think it, I think it could be a, a bit more. So right, so yeah, you've got to the stage. It wasn't really giving you that kind of value. Your energy levels were there. Your enthusiasm was there, but just not for the type of work that you were you were mm. doing. And then obviously from what what you were saying about the um, you took basically you took an early retirement so what was your prepare, preparation for that because that's to take early retirement for anyone okay. you have you've you, obviously i must have been planned of course I'm, I'm, I'm skirting around it a bit um as i alluded to i did plan to leave 15 months before i did um so i put my notice in in 2018 was it and then unfortunately between putting my notice in and retiring i was diagnosed with cancer so I actually had virtually a year of, of treatment, which was fantastic because my boss was very happy for me to stay on at work. She could appreciate that there needed to be that shared, that mutual support, both for me, for the service, because I was still providing a service, uh, you know, support for our local service, but also the support that I gained from my colleagues and from, from the team. So that was that was fantastic. So we had I had a year of being in work, not being in work, being in work, not being in work. And I think that time off, which I, I honestly didn't know whether I would cope with being retired, gave me the opportunity to see that I could, I had got those skills and that actually that transition between work and not working mm. was almost, I almost had like a preparation through, okay. through, through my period of ill health. So when the time came for 
formally retiring, I, I actually felt that I'd built up some skills, some pre-retirement skills. Uh, I'd also started doing a bit of volunteering and I'm quite active on Twitter and I have four accounts, so. Four, four, <laughs> four accounts. <laughs> yeah, one one which uh, I don't use very often, but the other three I'm sort of fairly vocal on and, and the, the, the Twitter community are absolutely amazing. I had so many people that supported me through that whole period. I've met one person out of that group, but, you know, if I saw them, it would fill a room. They, they have been fantastic. Mm. Um, and I really am grateful for the guidance and the support that they gave me. I, you know, I can't say anything better than that. And, and one, of the, one of them, Venus Madden, suggested I start a blog. So okay. I started blogging um, at her suggestion, which was a, a fantastic. It was quite cathartic and quite a brilliant way of, of um, reflecting on, on how I was feeling, what was going on in my life, and also helped me to transition through to, to retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and alongside that, I'd made some ideas, plans on, on how I wanted to carry on being involved with the profession. And obviously... Um, Dee Christie from Elizabeth Casson Trust is very active on Twitter and she really supported me and um, we carried on with discussions and are still having discussions with that as to how we as retired clinicians can support the, the future, the present workforce and people who are looking to return to practice as well. Mm. Um, what resources are needed from our legacy skills to support them in, in being feeling fulfilled within the profession mm. so, so it, those sorts of connections are fantastic it's it's been really good yeah. we, we're going to come back to uh, first of all uh, i hope every with, with your the cancer everything is okay mm. at the moment yeah definitely good, definitely good, good. it um, couldn't be anything but could it i'm an occupational therapist i have to look at the positives <laughs> yeah of course um we come on to we come on to what the, what you're doing now in terms of supporting the the uh, profession now but going back to your experiences of making that transition uh, of course that you had the uh difficulties with with your health um at that point um but looking at it from occupational point, occupational therapy point of view, what kind of skills from there can we apply and help others that are not OTs, are just the public, usual public, to help them make that transition into? Um, into I think what I, what I was saying in the in the article was that actually you, you can just let it happen, or you can actually be active in in, in dealing with it. Um, and, and there's that real things thing about looking about what's important to you. Mm-hmm. you now, what's important to me is that connection with other people, that connection with my community, that connection with bringing, um, looking at at how you can add value to a situation. And that's where I've tried to go with my my volunteering is, um, you know, looking at organisations where I can get something for them, but equally I can give of my skills or of my time to add value. I love these ladies that work in in charity shops, but that's not for me. You know, I need to be a bit more active in my in my volunteering. Um, so certainly volunteering, I started off with volunteering before I retired. So I knew that I'd got some structure within my week. Um, so that was one thing I did. Um, and also we had moved uh, about 
must be about six years ago, from having a, a business that my husband and I ran alongside me working and everything else, um, to a sort of an older house, as you can probably tell by the, the sort of the beams and the crumbling ceilings. So that became a project. And I love gardening. So my garden has also received benefit of my uh, OT side of things, you know, looking at how to bring colour in, into the garden as well and make it a bit more workable. I, th- I think that's it. I think it's having having passion for things. It's having hobbies that you can use to carry you through. It's having that support network. And in a way, because I retired on the cusp of COVID, I couldn't use the formal the formal support. Yeah. You know, we I couldn't go out for meals with my colleagues. I couldn't have coffee with them. I couldn't go to the theatre or so. Again, I'll come back to it. You know, the, the Twitter community were fantastic in supporting that that whole phase of until things started to open up, which was brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it sounds like I think just yeah, thinking of from an occupational therapy point of view is it's having all those things that you you value as a person, all those mm. things that you find meaningful to you, and having the time and the structure and the routine around it, rather than mm. having like an empty going from working every single day and then all of a sudden not working every single day and you're you've got those 37 and a half hours uh, in your week just empty um which can be um difficult for all of us to manage if you haven't got the the routine Mm -hmm. and the structure in place so you've got all these things and you've managed to uh navigate that time very well and then the twitter community the part which shows again the power of social media and and creating communities around ourselves Mm -hmm. And then now you you want to give back alongside mm. some other um, occupational mm. therapy. Uh, yeah, definitely. In retirement, you want to give back. So tell me a little bit about how that was um, founded. How do you, why why did you want to give back? Of course, because you've done it for forty years. You've given 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 <laughs> given given. You probably haven't received that much, <laughs> but you've given <laughs> given given. But yeah, how, why why do you want to carry on giving back to people? And what, what yeah, what, what about it? What, what about I, it? I, I think. Yeah. For me, it's very much a case of, you know, I, I have gained this skill and this knowledge and just to switch off seems to be almost a waste of, of that that resource. Um, and I think I see so many people that actually have left the profession because they don't feel that they've been heard or they don't feel that they can, they have the focus to take things forward. And it's, it's very much a case of, can I give what I've learned through those 40 years to support them, to be able to sustain themselves within the profession as well. Because um, it's very easy if, if the going gets tough to walk away. I mean, several times I've looked at what I was doing and thought, this really is not ticking the boxes for me, you know, but you feel trapped because you've got demands upon you. You know, you need to bring in money. You know, that's that's yeah. the crucial thing. And you, yeah. you just put it, you just put up with it and you carry on. And, and it's what what you gain from it at the end, saying actually you're in the middle of a tunnel, but at the end of it, there is light. And how can you make it quicker? How can you get to that end of the tunnel quicker? And giving people that type of support, um, giving people strategies to cope, which is what we do in our own profession. You know, we do, yeah. you know, our day-to-day life, isn't it? You know, okay, you're in a dark room now, but actually feel around, feel around the walls and, and see if you can find 
the blind that's covering the window that's if you push the blind aside you'll see the light yeah you know to use that sort of analogy and you know you may you may feel that you're in a in a space that you can't get out of but actually look up you know if you look up is there a way out you know is there another way through can you use that lateral thinking to say okay i don't like my job as it is at the moment but what is it that i do like of it and how can i step away from it and actually find another direction for myself mm. so sort of being a bit of a free thinker in that way and it, and also what i feel passionate about now is actually when when you retire and i'll come back to it again you never leave the profession mm. and it's i i flagged it up with steve ford to say that actually we are a valuable resource the retired community is a valuable resource and actually just to say okay bye bye doesn't work you know you are desperate for the you know the, the, the country's desperate for occupational therapists so yeah. what can we who've been through that, that whole process do to support the current current population of occupational therapists mm. to enable them to to sustain their profession for as long as we've sustained ours mm. it's really needed because like you said earlier you've seen things all of a sudden it's gone back in a circle so over the 40 years you worked I, i don't know how many circles you saw but you must have seen a, f- a fair few especially with uh, the changes in uh, policies and governments mm. and healthcare uh, nhs itself is changed massively to technology mm. even to some extent oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so you've seen it come and go there's easier ways of doing it so it's, it's mm. yeah i think it's it's valuable the the knowledge that you you guys that are in retirement have and how can we extract it mm-hmm. <laughs> extract it for the new generation of occupational therapists mm-hmm. coming through because as much as we feel like we know stuff we, we don't really know stuff <laughs> really we just we still we, we, we know it's a little bit we know the new stuff but yeah. working with people never changes right working with yeah. people never changes so um uh, yeah I, i think you it's needed it's, it's definitely needed and how has that response been how has that request been received that kind of like we're here we're present we want to help how has that been received by the wider occupational therapy well I mean, elizabeth castle trust is 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 a brilliant because they can see the value of our skills and they can also see the value of of supporting the profession across the board across the you know our um career journey um which which is fantastic and, you know i credit to them because i'd never really come across them when i was practicing um and and now i can i wish i had because i can see they could have helped me perhaps to do some of the things that i would love to have done but actually didn't know where to turn to mm. and and i think that's the other thing is actually saying you know we are out here we're here to support you and we're doing it because we want to not because we have to that's the other thing and also with um royal college they are starting to rejig their retired members page um which is with with input from some of us from the facebook page and from twitter um to make it more user friendly i think that's probably the thing you know actually coming back to this thing of when we retire we don't just stop being occupational therapists so actually make it a 
two-way conversation. We've got something to give as we're not just wanting something from the profession. Mm. We've got something mm. to give to the profession as well. Mm. So that's been good. So looking at, so I think you wrote an article for the OT News uh, yeah. uh, recently, very recently, and you talk yeah. about some of your work with the Allied Health Professionals um, Higher uh, Education England. Can you yeah. can you can you tell me a little bit about? Oh, tell me a little bit about your article for starters and then um move on to what yeah. the kind of work that specific work that you have been doing um to try help the, the new generation of OTs or the ones that are practicing that. I think the article came out from from many of my blogs, many of my feelings, you know, around retirement of, of actually, you know, what what have I learned through that transition, through that process that I can give back to help people who are, are looking to retire or saying is it the right time for me and actually saying looking at what's out there no we'll stay on with the profession a bit longer um and from that i did quite a lot of tweeting and ended up speaking to someone from health education england talking about legacy skills primarily in nursing she was working with but actually i i started to give a little bit of feedback on the ot side of things i think she moved roles so that sort of ended but I got involved in talking with a lady called Carrie Biddle, who is uh, on Health Education England Southwest. So she's in my region, who is, she is a connector. She's incredible. Um, and she kept saying, you know, yeah, we want to hear what you've got to say. We've got, we want you to contribute to this. And she's actually invited me to um, give a talk, which was two months ago. Um, about the role of retired allied health professionals in supporting um, higher education institutes by doing long arm supervision for the BSc courses, um, which is is also an interesting thing I've been doing. And Devon have their own um, group that are looking to develop this for all the allied health professions, including nursing, and I think they also do GP training. So. Basically, they're looking for experienced clinicians who are still registered with the HCPC and are prepared to offer short periods of time to support students on placement. Yeah. Um, so I did a placement, uh, sorry, I did a pilot in September last year with two students from Plymouth University. Um, they were in a role emerging placement with Devon County Council. So that was quite interesting. They were both in sectors of work that I hadn't directly worked in, but had experience of. So I was very much making sure they met the criteria for their qualification and the in-house staff were working with them on building the connections with the users. Um, and they were given the, you know, the opportunity to use their OT skills in those placements um, and using a lot of reflection, supervision discussions with me uh, to go through the placement which was fantastic it was really it was a really interesting experience mm. um, and hopefully I'm going to do it again this year mm. so, that's yeah. actually a good thing I didn't think about that we're having people who are again you must have supervised mm. a, a lot of students or a lot of clinical staff as well actually having that opportunity to have that experience on boards and mm. um, and supporting uh, students it's, uh, it's it's really really valuable then and you say yes of course you might not have worked in that particular 
um, mm. practice area but it's not about that sometimes is it it's, yeah. it's more about the your your approach your clinical reasoning your approach your understanding of your role as a allied health professional as an occupational therapist mm. in that mm. setting and how you can um yeah just make sure you're doing your job <laughs> as mm. well as you can or or seeing the blind spots um in, in your knowledge um that you can go back and I don't know uh, research and 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 build it up from there. So that's that's actually valuable because I know there's a lot of um there's a, there's a shortage there's a shortage of OTs everywhere there's a shortage of yeah. educators yeah. there's a shortage of everything yeah. <laughs> in healthcare. So having that uh, good resource there who are willing who are actually willing to provide long arm supervision and and, and share knowledge is, is is really valuable. Has that been formalized? A, 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 a bit or is it just as and when people are interested in doing it um it they're starting to look at giving contracts to people okay. who are interested in doing it but the great thing about it was the the students you used peer supervision you know they used peer peer they supported each other which was also great so mm. i was on the sort of almost like the vanguard saying no no that's the way you've got to go and once they got that enthusiasm going, so I was more corralling them and saying, no, 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 come back in. You know, this is the, you need to go in this way, not that way. You know, it's like a sheep, sheepdog. Um, <laughs> so, you know, come on, back into the fold, ladies. You know, you can't carry on with this free-ranging thought. You know, you have to focus on what's going on in that particular placement, which was, yeah, that, that, was, that was good fun as well. But yes, I think that, so back to your question. Uh, there is a need and I think that also it would be really great that when allied health professionals left the profession, the workplace, they were supported and encouraged to carry on having those um, connections with their profession Mm. um, in a slightly less formal way, but where they could still add that benefit to that, that no, the, the future future professionals really yeah no that's good that's good i'm really i you know i've never i knew that obviously there's people on in on twitter on twitter who are retired from working um mm. in profession but still very active in it it's just i've spoken to a couple of people on here who are um, like Jennifer Creed, um, yeah. Sue Baptiste, they're not mm-hmm. they're not working working, but they are still very much giving a lot back mm-hmm. to the um, professions, which I think is really fantastic. Because when we lose this knowledge, I don't know when the next block of people are going to come from. Because there's you guys have got the experience of um, observing the change over mm-hmm. a long period of time. Because there's been a lot of changes over the last the turn of the century in terms of um well just the world in general um but in terms of healthcare provision as well as it's changed it's changed a lot so it's it's really good that you we have a, a group of people who are still very much interested in it so if people want to find out more about basically people want to follow all your four accounts <laughs> or some of the ones that you you really do talk a lot on and, and share your opinions and uh, what kind of value you add where, where can they find you uh certainly on the retired AHP site that's probably the best one to contact me on and is that, is that on yeah. twitter yeah yeah it's on twitter okay okay perfect um, and then they can reach out to you for advice yeah. knowledge sharing um uh, and, and obviously, the Elizabeth Castle Trust is is a brilliant resource, um, both to support what well, to support us across our professional life, um, because they're utilising the retired professionals, 
but supporting mm. return to practice. They're supporting students. They're doing mentoring. Um, so they are. They're a brilliant resource. They are fantastic. Mm. Um, and just to just to yeah. sorry. Yeah, go on. Just yeah, just to just to finish off, I'm just thinking about um, if you have any final thoughts on someone that might be listening and thinking actually uh, I'm near the end of my uh, I'm getting to that age where it's either retirement or I'm getting to that stage in my career where I think actually I'm not I'm I'm, I'm dabbling between stopping working or not what kind of advice what kind of questions do you reckon they should ask themselves and really think about before they make that decision or to stay or to to go I think they need to look at their own professional skills and, and, and actually be planners, so plan, but don't plan to the point where they aren't giving themselves space to um, take up opportunities that are never expected to happen, which is exactly what's happened to me. Now, I, I knew I'd, I'd got to focus on the things that I wanted to carry on being engaged with. Um, and this whole long arm supervision thing came from someone who just tweeted and said, Sue, are you still registered? Yes. Would you be interested in? Yes. You know, so be open. Um, and and I, again, it's it's almost like having a, a specialism when you're when you're working as an OT. You know, I had a specialism in specialism in wheelchair services, in wheelchair skills. So I still keep dipping in and out of that. You know, I did some work for Wiz Kids. Um, but I also have a specialism in working in community services. So, you know, it gives you areas to focus with. And I think in retirement, that's also important that actually you have areas to focus on of things that are interesting to you. You know, you might find as an OT, you really interested in horticultural therapy. So go, you know, if you're going to retire, maybe that's the area that you go and work, work, mostly work in or that you express your, you know, give your skills to your legacy skills to an organisation that, that is involved in that sort of work if you want to volunteer um if, if nothing you know there is no there's no answer there's no right way of doing it yeah. um, it's what's important to you and what gives you value and what what you feel passionate about sorry i am sounding passionate am I, about this? <laughs> actually retirement has been fantastic i know it's not the same for everybody um but i've really 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 enjoy it and at some point i'm going to have to start saying no to things but at the moment i i'm loving what i'm doing you know and i haven't felt that passion about my working life for a long time oh, that's, yeah, think, that, yeah. that's so nice to hear that's so nice to hear. and i think that's what it is i think having that passion and and it's bringing value to or it's adding value to your your yeah. life now which is yeah, which definitely. is pretty amazing but thank you so much Sue, again for You're taking welcome. out the time um i'm hopefully people can reach out to you and find out a little bit more about what you do if you do have access to the uh, ot news um magazine you just please have a read of the article sue wrote in there because it's, it's really good and it, it, it's got a lot of the questions that we've just um talked had a discussion about in there and also questions to support people to think about themselves if they want to make that kind of transition as well so thank you very much for thank taking you. the time thank to come and speak to me thank you brilliant thank you so much again sue for taking the time to come on the podcast it's really really interesting to hear some of the things you are doing into your retirement and basically sticking around and helping the profession out as we move forward and all the changes that occurs with it 
If you are still listening, I do need your help. I am looking for someone who is interested in becoming part of the podcast. I'm looking for someone that's interested in editing, someone that's interested in the promoting of it, someone that's interested in the production of it. So if it's something that you think you would like to learn or just get involved, please drop me a message on any of my social media handles or drop me an email to otandchill at gmail.com. It would be really lovely to have someone on board to assist me so we can get some consistency back into the podcast. And I know that people really appreciate and benefit and really learn a lot from it. So yes, if you yourself want to help or you know someone, just please pass on this message to them. And until next time, stay safe.